Hi everyone, welcome to this week's edition of Growth Everywhere, where we interview entrepreneurs and bring you business and personal growth tips. I'm your host, Eric Sue, and today we have Ian Ippolito? Ippolito. Ippolito, got it. All right, I almost butchered it again. All right, cool. So, um, you know, Ian is the previous founder of uh, VWorker, also known as uh, Rent-A-Coder, is that right? Yes, that's right. Cool. Mm -hmm. So, Ian, thanks, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, my pleasure. It's great to be here. Cool. Great. So, what, Ian? You know, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and then you know how everything led into led into VWorker eventually? Oh, okay, sure. Um, well, I mean, way back, my background was I, I got a computer science degree mm-hmm. from University of Central Florida, and I kind of worked for other people. Um, I, I worked for some large companies. I worked as a consultant and did a, did a couple of things. But I was always I, I, there was always like a dissatisfaction with me because I never. I enjoyed working for those companies, and I, I did my best that I could, and I, I tried to do a good job, but there was always like a frustration because I always felt like I, I wasn't able to, like as an example, like if I saw like something that I wanted to improve, I would suggest it to my boss, and he would run into his boss, and maybe something would happen, and there would be a meeting, and typically nothing would happen. Mm-hmm. So it was really frustrating working there. So, um, and, and I found it wasn't just in the, the place that I was working. It's like a lot of these companies, big companies, are the same way. So I thought, you know what? I'd like to to start my own company. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's kind of like how the idea started. Mm-hmm. And I actually, before Viewworker and Rent-A-Coder, I actually started a couple other companies. I started a company that does uh, that did uh, software, so like shareware. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, then I created a website called Planet Source Code that brought in. A lot of programmers, and actually, Plant Source Code was kind of the start for creating Rent-A-Coder and VWorker. Mm-hmm. Got it. Cool. So, Rent-A-Coder. I mean, did you did you change the name to VWorker, and then why the name VWorker? I guess. Yeah. So it, it was originally Rent-A-Coder. Mm-hmm. Um, I created it back in two thousand one. Well, to, to explain that, so I had this website called Planet Source Code, mm-hmm. and I had a lot of programmers on that website. I had, um, I think, I was getting. Maybe like three or four million uh, page views, or excuse me, users coming into every single month. So mm-hmm. a lot of programs on the website. But this was like around 2001, mm-hmm. and um, right around then the the, the dot com crash occurred. Mm-hmm. Uh. So yeah, so so I had Plant Source Code. It was doing great. I had all these advertisers, and then boom, it just it completely fizzled out. Mm-hmm. And all my advertisers went out of business, and they couldn't pay their bills. And I had huge bills I needed to pay too because. Back then, you, you couldn't just get internet into your house. You had to purchase these lines, these T1 lines. So I ended up, you know, doing that. And I mean, each one of those was like about thirteen hundred or fifteen hundred dollars a month. Mm-hmm. You know, times five or six. So I had huge bills. Mm-hmm. So, so plant service goes like going down the tubes. It's like, oh no, all my advertisers are dying. I need to find something else. So that's where I came up with the idea of the rent a coder. And it's like, and so I thought, well, I have these coders here, and everyone needs programming work done. Mm-hmm. Maybe if I can find some way to like connect them with people who need the work done, and I can make it safe, mm-hmm. uh, I think I could make it work. I think that could be a good business. Got it. Wow. So let's talk about those four million users from Planet Source Code first. I mean, you know, how okay. did you get? Let's let's just say, how did you get the first hundred thousand, and then we'll talk. We'll go on from there. Oh, okay. So on Planet Source Code. Yeah. You mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess I did it kind of in a boring way, I did it very slowly over time. And it took a while. It took, um, I mean, it probably took a year and a half before I even was getting even moderate traffic on there. I basically had put it out there. Um, but, and this was a long time ago. Like I said, this was pre-2001. So there weren't 
the options of like Google ads or a lot of the things that are out there now mm-hmm. there were no Facebook ads. There was no Facebook. Yeah. Um, but uh, I basically relied on organic traffic, word of mouth. And then I also would go out to different places where people were discussing my topic. Mm-hmm. So in, in this case, it was source code, people that were talking about programming. And I went out there and talked to them, engaged them um, and said, hey, you know, by the way, the answer to your question could be found right over here. Mm-hmm. Got it. So I did a lot of outreach. Okay, cool. So organic traffic at the time, I mean, you know, obviously, I'm, I'm assuming with 4 million users, you got to have, you know, a ton of, you know, a ton of pages, ton of profile pages, things like that. I mean, you know, what, what was the main way for you to grow, you know, grow organically? There has to be like one, you know, one tactic or strategy that you can share, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, there were a lot of pages on that site. And actually, I still have that site today. So yeah, there still are. Uh, kind of like the, the secret for that one was that the the users generated all the content. Yep. So so the idea was Planet Source Code, come here and share your source code with other programmers. Mm-hmm. And it's a really valuable thing. Source code can be reused. It's the building blocks of programs. If I want to create a new program and I have the source code, uh, I, you know that might save me a huge amount of time. So kind of like GitHub. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> kind of like GitHub, but way back when. Yep. Yes, before open source even had a name. But that's basically, yes, exactly. Got it. So, so people had an incentive to put it up there to kind of be known and also to kind of share it with other people and interact with them. Mm-hmm. So, so that was the secret. I had this idea for great content that users would actually supply. So I didn't have mm-hmm. to pay for any of the content. Yep. Um, they put it up there. And then it, there was just so much of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, that Google just, you know, was just indexing and indexing and indexing all day long. Mm-hmm. Cool. And is this something you stumbled upon or was it something you knew, you know, Google was going to find all of this and crawl it and give you massive traffic? Uh, no, I stumbled upon it. I, I can't say I'm that smart. I just was kind of just like, well, this seems like I, I was looking at it from the business point of view. Like I mm-hmm. thought, well, this seems like a good idea. I don't know how long it's going to take to, to go. Mm-hmm. And I guess I was lucky that it turned out to be something that that worked well. Got it. Wow. Okay, cool. So, yeah, I mean, um, you know, the transition, you know, to, I guess we'll talk about, you know, the peak of, of VWorker. I mean, you know, at, at, the, at, the, at the height of VWorker, um, mm-hmm. before you sold it, right? Um, yes. You know, how many users did you have and, you know, what kind of revenue was, were you guys doing? Sure. So, like, at the peak, it was doing about uh, $11 million in revenue a year. It was, um, I think we had about 150000 uh, employers. So mm-hmm. there's the two sides of your worker are the employers purchasing the work mm-hmm. and then the people doing the work. Mm-hmm. And so the people doing the work, the workers, there were um, about 400,000 to 500,000 of those. Mm-hmm. So those were about the numbers. Wow. Okay. So you have the chicken and the egg thing where it's, it's we'll just call it a marketplace, right? So how do you go about, you know, you already have the, you have the workers already. How do you go about finding the employers? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Now, I would say for some, anyone starting a marketplace, it's like I would recommend I at least had half of it. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you're starting completely from scratch, it's like really, really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would recommend finding like a content site or something that can drive at least half of those to you. Mm-hmm. Then you can kind of focus your marketing on the other half. And and so that's what I did. So basically, I had, like you said, I had plant source code mm-hmm. that handled all the programmers. And then I just focused all my efforts on bringing in buyers. So it was... You know, Google Ads, uh, emails. At the time, emails worked pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, actually, an affiliate program too worked really well. Nice. Yeah. So sharing the profits with people, I, I set up something that was much better than all the competitors because mm-hmm. the competitors would give people like fifty bucks or a hundred bucks, mm-hmm. and I thought, well, you know what? what? We're getting a lifetime value out of these referrals. Mm-hmm. Let's share that with them. So by doing that, there were a lot of referrals. 
Got it. Okay. Wow. And this was, I mean, what, what time period was this in? Okay, so I started the site at 2001, but it probably took you know a couple of years to really start taking off. So, uh, you know, we're we're start talking about maybe 2004, 2005. Okay, cool. Wow. So, okay, so you know, you started doing Google Ads. Um, I mean, you know, how much? Um, well, besides the Google Ads stuff, I mean, uh, was there a lot of? Were you doing kind of repeating the same organic stuff, or is there any other secret sauce that you can share? Yeah. So the the stuff that had worked well on Plant Source Code. You know, I did over there as well. It's like in my case, you know, people looking for programmers, uh, there's a lot of information that they need that they usually don't have. Mm -hmm. So um, I created like these technical guides on how to hire programmers, mm. and so you know, because there's a lot of steps, and most people don't understand how to do it. So I talked about how to do it. It's, it started off with a really compelling headline, which said 80% of software products fail, and here's how not to be one of them. And so that was something that grabbed people's attention, and then it, and then it talked further. Well, what does that mean? Well, 80% of projects are either over budget or not on time or don't get done at all. And then it laid out you know, all the solutions. And then, of course, it pointed out in this pretty long document, this ebook, uh, how VWorker would actually make it easy. Like it talked about how they could do it manually themselves, but if they wanted to do it simpler, here's how VWorker could help. And at the end was just a a little thing about it so it was kind of a soft sell in a way mm -hmm. and there was also a drip campaign so uh. so okay so yeah so i'd have the email address send them this book actually send them half the book not the whole yeah. thing uh -huh. and then <laughs> then send like the it. second half of the book later yeah and um follow up with some emails see if you know follow up with emails see if we can get some just some sort of activity on them and hopefully bring them into the site Got it. Okay. So this drip campaign, I mean, this is before marketing automation and all that. You can't like track everything they've downloaded, where they've been and all that. So, you know, walk us through, the, I, I, I guess, you know, that process. So you have an autoresponder, right? Um, you know, how, how does that work exactly? You know, at what point does it, do you start to start to convert them? Yes, yes. Well, and you're right. There, there weren't a lot of tools back then. I had to write it myself. Mm -hmm. Today, there are tools that can automate it and make it a lot easier. Mm -hmm. But um, so, so basically, you have to gather the, the, the most important thing is that email address. You got to get that from somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of times, you can put some sort of bait on your on your web page that's going to be something that someone will want in exchange for giving you that email address. Um, and, and what I found is like I wasn't going to gather a ton of information about them. I wasn't going to ask what's your age, what's you know, do you have a programming project, you know, all these things. Just I just would just ask just for the email address. That's it. And so, and as soon as they gave me that, boom, I would email the link. I wouldn't give them the 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 ebook e directly because, like, on the website, because I wanted to make sure the email address was real. So I would email them the the ebook, and so now I have them in the system. And then so so from there, let me see if I remember right. So they had the first part of the ebook. Mm -hmm. um, then there would be a follow up email. I think like three or four days later mm -hmm. saying, you know, hey, did you get your did you get your ebook? Do you have any questions? You know, let me know. Very soft sell, not, mm -hmm. you know, not not pushing anything really. Um, then like four or five days later it's like, oh by the way, there's a second part of this ebook. And <laughs> <laughs> so here's the second part. And okay, great. Hopefully that they download that. And then a lot of times that would be enough. Like they might just sign up. But if they didn't, then I believe like ten or fifteen days later there would be another email, and this one was not quite a soft sell. It was like, "Hey, you know, we have this service that will help you hire a programmer. Would you like more information? Click here to be connected to a customer service rep, or to talk to somebody, mm -hmm. or to email us." And uh, so it was that kind of thing, where it was like step by step. 
Got it. Wow. Okay. So yeah, I think you you pretty much you know you stumbled into online marketing. You just got it all down. This is you know this is stuff that's you know I, I think I think it, it, it all comes uh, it's all validated. I, I think and it's, it's great. I think so. Um, in terms of you know, I, I guess we can shift over to the the PR side of things. So obviously you know you've you've been featured on you know Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Bloomberg, and and Time Magazine. So how did this all come about? Oh um, well, I guess it came about really. It started with one article, mm. and. I was just, I had my head down. I was working as hard as I could, just trying to get people into the site and just, and it was, it was, it was going good. It wasn't going fantastic, but it was going decently. And I could see the trajectory was going really well. So I, I was really optimistic about the future. But one day I just got an email from uh, this guy, Lee Gomez. And he said, Hey, my name's Lee Gomez and I'm a, I'm a writer for the wall street journal. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think it's amazing what you guys are doing. I've never seen anything like this before, and I'd like to write an article on you if you don't mind, and also interview my programmer. And of course, I said, "Hey, yeah, no problem at all, whatever." So you know, I'll give you anything you need. So he, he did that. He interviewed his programmer. So he had hired his programmer to do some work, and he like he, he got it done in just like you know a few hours. Mm-hmm. So he was amazed at how well it had worked, and so. Uh, so that was the start. So that Wall Street Journal article kind of kicked it all off. Mm-hmm. And what I found is that there's kind of a herd mentality with a lot of the media. So it's like, which is good and bad. It's bad when you're trying to break in because mm-hmm. it can be tough to break in. But once you have that one, then you've been validated. So it's like all of a sudden all these other people start coming to you. Mm-hmm. And basically that's what I found. I totally agree with that. I remember, uh, you know, one time I was at this this startup, and then we, uh, you know, once we got featured on on TechCrunch, you know, the inks of the world, the, the Wall Street journals of the world came. So I think it, it, it tends to have like a cascading effect after. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I think you're totally right. So um, do you think that press was more of like a very fleeting thing, like typical press, or do you think it had the? Do you think it helped you know spurt growth and just kind of you know continued uh, the trajectory for you? It was fleeting, so it was like. Boom, huge yep. for like a week, two weeks, and then boom, back down to normal. Yeah. But that like like you just said, but basically that opened the door for, you know, some of these other people to to start talking about it. So each one was like another spike. Mm-hmm. So um, you can almost think of it like a, a porcupine, you know, each mm-hmm. each spike takes you up just a little bit higher and a little bit higher and hopefully yeah. you don't come down quite to where you were. Yeah. Um and and in my case I had a product that had the advantage of strong customer loyalty. Mm-hmm. So um, so each time it would come back down, it wouldn't come all the way back down to where it started. And so that's what was going to, that led to the eventual growth. Got it. Okay. So we're in, I think we're in agreement here. I mean, you know, there's spikes, but it, it does, it does lead to a, like a, like a consistent lift over time. Right. Yes. Okay. Yes, exactly. Cool. Perfect. So, yeah, I mean, in terms of, um, I, you know, I, I read one of your, your, your interviews and you, and then you said, you know, you had no choice, but to be profitable, you know, <laughs> can you explain what that that's all about? <laughs> well, um, there's, it means a couple of things. I mean, it means one that the the company was there was no venture funding. I actually funded it all myself and just you know did it that way. But the other thing was that it was born out of I guess you could say necessity. So I told you a little bit about how Plant Source Code was doing so well and then just died, mm-hmm. and I needed to pay my bills. So it's like I didn't have the luxury of something that was going to just uh, suck up a whole bunch of money and maybe it was going to work, maybe it wasn't. Mm-hmm. I had immediate problems right then, you know, with those huge, you know, you know multi, like, I think I had 61s 
you know, each over a thousand dollars a month. It's like I wow. needed some sort of revenue. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, so, so I needed something. So that's what it was. It was a very much, it forced me to really, really think about every single dime that I spent and every single moment of time that I spent and made sure that it was focused on the most important things. Okay. Wow. Cool. So, Obviously, you know, for, for this type of stuff, I mean, you know, for, for Planet Source Code, you know, let's we'll start with that. I mean, how many employees did you have uh, running that? Well, Planet Source Code is very small. Uh-huh. So I had myself, you know, as the, I had done the programming so, and I was the webmaster. Mm-hmm. I had a customer service person and I had a, who kind of did like emails and, mm-hmm. and questions from users. And then I had uh, my CFO. So who ran the financials and did all that sort of thing. But it actually was a really easy business because mm-hmm. it basically was just, internet advertising mm-hmm. so um it really did, and i had an outsourced advertising firm selling the ads mm-hmm. so it was a very very small company got it when you say small company are you are you able to reveal the revenues for uh planet source code that one i can't because okay. we're still going today <laughs> got it. okay cool so in terms of you know employees for v workers i mean at your peak before you sold how many employees did you have at the time so on that one i had 15 mm-hmm. So 15 like employees that I would call my own, like, you know, so it's like full-time employees, 12, and then three part-timers. And then of course I had a ton of, you know, outsourced work. Mm -hmm. So I had, you know, programmers that I was hiring. I had content writers doing some marketing and things like that. Got it. So, you know, can you walk us through the challenges going from, you know, a very small operation to 15 employees? I mean, what are, what are some of the things that you had to deal with? Oh yeah. Yeah. A lot of things. I mean, um, I mean, the, with Plant Source Code, like we talked about, I I didn't really have to worry about hiring too much. Mm-hmm. And actually, so the CFO, I actually, I knew her. She was a, a personal acquaintance of mine. And then we hired her, uh, a relative of hers. So it's like I knew everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just can't do that when you when you have a bigger company. So I had to get good at hiring people and figuring out, you know, who's going to do a good job. And it's not easy. I mean, you, you have this resume. And on paper, a lot of people... They're not the, the most truthful. They, they, everyone looks great on their resume if, if they're smart enough. Mm-hmm. So um, trying to differentiate that and trying to learn, you know, how to hire well was a big challenge, and uh, that was that was a key because each individual hire was like so important. Like, you know, in a big company, if you hire badly, you know, and it's not going to make it much of a difference. Mm-hmm. But in a small company, each one is like crucial. Cool. So what are some? Sh- I mean, what are some you know hiring tips uh, that you can you can share with the audience? Mm. What I found is that this is funny. Almost every time, I would oh, so so I, I had a, I set up a process of hiring mm-hmm. where to minimize the amount of work for me, but hopefully find the best uh, candidates. And so I would start off, you know, I'd post it wherever it was going to be. Uh, maybe it was going to be on uh, LinkedIn, or maybe it was going to be on Monster or whatever. So mm-hmm. post a job, um, and then receive back a bunch of emails. And then I had like an automated thing that would try to weed out a bunch of those people automatically who just weren't qualified to do it. So uh, I would, uh, so this automated thing would ask them like five or six questions that they needed to answer correctly. Uh-huh. And if they didn't, then, th- then it, it, would, it would weed them out. So that was, that was a huge thing there because at first I was like looking at every single one of these and I was just overloaded. Mm-hmm. So some sort of way, I'd recommend that was my first kind of trick that I learned. Some way to quickly weed these guys out. Then, so I would do an so after that, then I would do an email interview. Mm-hmm. Um, I, at first, I would just jump right on the phone. I'd be like talking, and I wasted so much time. Um, what I learned is like do it in steps, and each, at each step, try to weed out more and more people. Mm-hmm. So for the, I would do an email interview, and it was a canned interview. I had all the questions written out. I would just send it to them, mm-hmm. um, 
And uh, on some of them, there was like a little bit of a test, like a timed sort of mm-hmm. thing. So I would just schedule a time, send it to them, and maybe they would take like, like sometimes they would take a test like for the customer service, like their grammar mm-hmm. or, you know, because they're typing emails. The worst thing is when someone, you know, you, you need customer service and the, the grammar is really bad and you can't understand what they're saying. Yeah. So, you know, a little test like that. So that would do an email. Then after that, if they pass that. So now at this point, you know, probably 80% are falling out of each step. Mm-hmm. So 80% are falling out there. So then now it's to the phone. And again, 80% would would drop out on the phone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd be left with just a small number. And finally, those people I'd bring in for an in-person interview. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I found is even when I got to that last step, I would always have like maybe five or six people. I'd be like, okay, here are my final candidates. Mm-hmm. And I would try to predict, okay, who is it that's going to like be the winner? And I found I almost always predicted wrong based on just and at that point i mean i knew them pretty well i like i knew their writing skills i they'd taken a test mm-hmm. they had talked to me on the phone i knew their phone voice if they were customer service and um i always guessed wrong and what <laughs> what i found out is so many people on paper and on the phone can present themselves very well and then you get them in person and then you go ooh you know yep. you, you see their you see their personality and you're like oh that person's not going to fit in because mm-hmm. you know, they're a little bit pushy and they're, you know, whatever it is, or uh, if I was a customer, I don't think I'd be so comfortable talking to this person because they, they're just not, they don't open up enough, or, you know, whatever it is. So, um, people, I, I know some people will just hire, for example, like you know, remotely, uh, for, for someone that's going to sit in an office, mm-hmm. and I actually don't recommend that. So it's like if it's someone that's going to sit in an office, I'd say bring them in and have that face to face because. To me, I, I was always surprised that it, I always uh, it always changed my mind on who was the best candidate. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, you know, at the start of I worked that we we hired people remotely all the time. We had a lot of a remote atmosphere, and then I, I you know you're, I totally agree. It's nothing's gonna beat in person in, in some cases, and this is totally right. I, do you agree with? Um, I know Sequoia Capital. You know they had this one blog post where they talk about uh, trial week for employees. I mean, is this something you've tried in the past? And if so, you know how did it go? Yeah, I definitely did. Um, there's a saying that you should um, hire slowly and fire quickly. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I definitely agree with that because even after going through that huge whole process, I wouldn't necessarily always get the best person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I actually, I didn't have a trial week. I actually had like trial months. <laughs> okay. I set up, yeah, I set up the first six months. I said, look, you are being hired on a trial basis. And, um, you know, we're going to be watching what you're doing and we're going to be helping you and we want you to succeed. You know, I want you to succeed. I've invested a lot of money and time in getting you to this point. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm here for you. Any questions? And, and you know, it's a small company, so I actually could be there for, for yeah. them almost until the very end. Mm-hmm. So by the end, it was starting to get a little bit difficult. But um, so I, I felt as long as I, I offered that, it was a fair trade. And so, but they understood that they were, you know, I wasn't promising them a job for life. Yeah. And um, it, definitely made people be on their best behavior and what i found out is it would get people off on the right start because before i did that you know the, the tendency was like oh i got the job okay i'm set yeah and people could tend to slack off right away yeah. but once people actually start in that pattern and that habit of doing it for maybe a week or in this case you know a few months it's locked in mm-hmm. so i found that was a really really good technique got it okay cool great so um yeah i mean um Obviously, you know, VWorker has been sold. I mean, let's let's talk about the present for a little bit. I mean, you know, what, what's Ian working on today? <laughs> so, yes, I sold that, and um, I got into a completely new field. So um, the, the, one of the biggest trends these days is uh, mobile devices. Mm-hmm. 
you know, we're spending so much time on our mobiles and PC sales are flat or going down. And um, I think that most people spend their time on mobiles actually is, is not actually doing work, but, uh, you know, listening, listening to podcasts, mm-hmm. watching videos like this one. Um, and and, and this, is, this is at least has a work purpose, mm-hmm. um, but also playing games. Yeah. So uh, my newest thing is actually um, a gaming startup. And the idea of this gaming startup, it's a social gaming startup, or it's it's basically a casual gaming startup for people that can play games for money for 60 seconds. It's basically a 60-second game, so it's really fast. And and typically, gambling games is, is what people think of when they think of money. Yeah. And those are only allowed in three states. Mm. But because this is a skill gaming, so in other words, you have to, all the luck is removed. It's not like... Um, roulette where you spin a wheel yeah it's actually like you match tiles mm-hmm. and you have to do it as fast as possible it requires skill mm-hmm. so because it's a skill gaming thing it actually is uh it's allowed in 36 states okay. so so that's what i'm working on it's it's kind of a disruptive thing because uh a lot of the so we have the casinos that are kind of have a lock on a lot of this stuff mm-hmm. and they are trying to block out online gambling with some new legislation and this is kind of like a whole new area which is yeah. online skill gaming so it's a little controversial, but it's a little fun. I love it. You know, I used to play a ton of online poker, so uh, you know. Oh, uh, you did. Love, love to see what happens with this. Ah, uh, cool. How, I'll send you the link. Yeah. No. How, how does this work exactly? So let's say I'm playing against you. I mean, let, so let's do we like ante up something? I, I bet a hundred bucks. You bet a hundred bucks. If you win, you take a, you take my hundred. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly it. So very small tournaments, four people total. Um, with the idea of trying to keep the odds as good as possible for each person. Okay. And yep, and people choose the ante or the entry fee is what we call it. Mm-hmm. So it ranges anywhere from a tiny amount, so as low as nine cents, mm-hmm. all the way up to like fifty or sixty bucks. Okay. And they can choose the odds, so they can play if they play recreationally. Mm-hmm. Like three out of those four people will either win back their money or get back more money. Mm-hmm. And then they they can play intermediate or they can pay advanced. And if they do the advanced, the winners are going to double or triple their money. But you know the the lower players are not; they're going to lose their money. Wow! So it kind of just depends on the level of the player. Wow, I love it. Cool. No, it definitely sounds disruptive. Yeah, you know, best of luck with that. I mean, you know what? I mean, with this, obviously you've done all, all these different businesses. I mean, what's the challenge with like a mobile startup right now? Oh, there's a lot. Um, the mobile field is really fragmented. So you have like all these different environments. You've got your Android and your, your iPhone. And even when amongst Android, you've got a million different models and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so trying to roll out a product that works well on all these mobile devices, each with their own programming language, and, and then also needs to work on the PC for those people who are going to be on that. Maybe they're going to be on their tablet at home or something yeah. like that is like really a challenge. So mm-hmm. this, is, this is rolling out on every platform, this mm-hmm. game. So it has definitely been a challenge. Okay. And now I imagine there has to be some differences here. I mean, are you taking any funding? You might, you're going to need a lot more, you know, developer talent here. Is there anything different in, in that sense? Yeah. Well, I mean, in, in one sense, I don't have that gun to my head that I had before, which yeah. was, you know, hey, I got to make this work. So, yeah. um, I, so I have th- that. It, it's a lot easier this time. It's a lot less stressful. I can say that. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I may take funding. I'm mm-hmm. definitely, you know, talking to some people about if they want to be involved in this. Um, I, I was actually res- really resistant to funding last time, mm-hmm. um, and I think I'm more open to taking it this time than I was last time. So, so we'll kind of see. But I also the advantage is because I sold VWorker, I have the ability to just take it all the way myself. Mm-hmm. So um, that is definitely an option, and it, it, it could be the most appealing one. I, you know, I'm not sure. 
All right, cool. Well, well, best of luck in that space for sure. You have, you have to send me the link after so we can promote it yes, as well. Yes, yes. Cool. So, um, you know, let's, I guess we could talk about, um, you know, going back to, you know, the, the past. I mean, you know, if you could go back and change, you know, one thing with, uh, v, you know, growing VWorker, I mean, what would it be? Ooh, if I could change something about it. Um, well, I made a lot of mistakes, you know, especially at the beginning. I really didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know what? Um, I think one of the biggest problems that I had was with fraud. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the, the problem is that, so we have a, an employer, say they, they purchase a $1,000 project from a, a worker. Mm-hmm. And so they put their money into escrow and we hold the money in escrow. And then it gets released to the program once the buyer says that they did the work. Um, but the problem with fraud is that very uh, a smart person could pretend to be both parties. Mm-hmm. And then so... As the employer, they use a fake credit card, a stolen credit card, basically, um, which you can buy really cheaply these days. I mean, it's crazy. You can pay you can pay just a few cents per credit card. Mm-hmm. Um, so a fake credit card, charge $1,000 of fake money that's not even theirs, receive the $1,000 as, as a programmer. Um, then, then the credit card company comes back to us and says, hey, this was a fraudulent card. We need to send the money back to the person who it was coming from. Well, at that point, we've already given out the money. Yeah. So this was a big problem on VWorker, how to handle the fraud. Wow. And um, it took a while. It took you know many, many tries and many iterations to figure out a solution that was going to stop that because people are coming in anonymously. Mm-hmm. You don't know who they are. Very difficult. Wow. Okay. I, I imagine you must have been pulling your hair out on that one, huh? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was one that like definitely came really close to sinking the business. Okay. Um, there, there were a few times where... The fraud was so high mm-hmm. that it was like, you know, if this keeps up, if this goes on for another month, we're going to be out of business next month. So when you're in a moment like that, I mean, you know, to, to, I guess to help the audience, I mean, when you're in a like, oh shit moment like that, I mean, what, what kind of like, you know, what do you need to do to turn it around? Are you like staying up like all night, all day? Like wh- what are some tactical things you can share with the audience? Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like it's like someone telling you your baby is is sick and about to die, basically, is what it is. And, you know, you've been nurturing this thing and trying to get to the stage it is, and all of a sudden a huge problem has happened. I, I think it's almost impossible not to work just as crazy and as much as you can on it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I did. I mean, basically, I, I, I realized there was a problem. I had to learn as much about the problem as possible. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. I just researched every single thing I could about these you know these people who stole internet credit credit cards over the internet. Mm-hmm. Where do they hang out? How do they do it? Mm-hmm. How much money do they spend? What are their incentives? What are they, what are they trying to do? Um, what are their capabilities? And what what are their weaknesses? And uh, I did that. I talked to a lot of people, and then I just kind of huddled together with my team. And at the time, there were only three of us, mm-hmm. so it was me. And really, it was ba- and even the third person was was more of a temp. So it was myself and and Zoe, who was the CFO from that plant source code, mm-hmm. who came along with me to VWorker and RentCoder. Mm-hmm. So we huddled together and we just said, we are going to keep working on this until we figure out the answer. And uh, eventually we did. Got it. Cool. So they were on, I mean, you know, you're working around the clock and then you, you, you huddle them. And I'm assuming they're working around the clock too, helping. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's just like, you know, this is like, well, everyone wants to preserve their jobs. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if you, ex- if, if you don't explain to them what's going on, everyone, people would be upset. They'd be like, well, why are you doing this? You know, but if you explain to them, look. Here's the problem. Here's our revenues. <laughs> Here is what this is doing to our revenues. You know, here's how long we're going to be in business if this keeps up. That's that's pretty motivating for everybody. Got it. Okay. Good enough. Cool. That's helpful for everyone. Okay. Um, in terms of you know winding down here, two more questions. In terms of 
productivity hack that you can share with the audience? What's one productivity hack you can share? Mm. Okay, so what I found is that like over time, my to-do list would just pile up, and you know, and I'm actually a pretty hard worker. You know, it's like I, I'm, I'm consistent. I'm pretty disciplined, and I, I pound things out as quickly as I can. But even, even with that, doing that, it wasn't enough, and I just, it just kept piling up and piling up. And the problem is, it would pile up with these things that were kind of difficult to do. Mm-hmm. Um, they weren't like quick things. I could get the quick things out of the way. Mm-hmm. So, um, so when I, I realized it was getting out of control, what I did was I said, okay. Every morning when I get up, I am going to pick, I'm going to look at my list and I'm going to take the hardest thing that's on there. One hard thing, the hardest thing on there, I'm going to get it out of the way. Mm-hmm. And I don't care if that means I'm not going to get to these other things, you know. Um, and it was amazing because uh, what it did was, there, there's a certain amount of gridlock that I didn't realize was occurring there. And, and it was mentally weighing down on me, this huge list, even though I didn't realize it. Mm-hmm. And the momentum that I got from getting rid of that hard thing Sometimes that hard thing would take like hours to do. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it was easier than I thought it was, and I'd be like, "Oh, okay. Well, you know, it only took like about thirty minutes, or mm-hmm. literally it wasn't that big of a deal." Um, sometimes it would take a couple of days to do. But knowing that I was working on like the, an important, really hard thing and getting it out of the way, mm-hmm. um, just mentally helped me. It, it made me feel so much more relaxed, and eventually that list got down to nothing. Cool. Well, I, I actually I, I couldn't agree more with, with that tactic. But what I find have happening to myself sometimes is that it, it tends to I tend to fall back into old habits. So I have that one thing right, but then all of a sudden, like I find myself like I look at my list today, bam, it's huge again. Like last week, I just cleared it out, right? So yes, you yes. Know, how do you prevent yourself from eroding into into old habits? Mm, it is tough. It definitely takes discipline. I mean, um, I kind of use like a system. For processing my my emails and all that sort of thing, so I go through it. I make a couple of passes. So my first pass is get rid of all the junk that I don't have to pay attention to. So mm-hmm. that gets rid of probably about thirty percent. For example, my emails. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I don't know how many emails you're getting. You're probably getting a lot. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're like most people, you know, um, you know, I, I I mean, at my peak, I was probably getting like two thousand emails a day. It was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, now it's a lot easier. Now it might be like three hundred, two hundred. So I, I could get a third rid of third of them are junk. Boom. And then the second pass are things that I can get rid of in like two minutes or less. And so I'd go and make another pass all the way through. And then the, the rest of them are like, they're real things. And then I would prioritize and put them where I needed to in my different lists. Mm-hmm. So as long as I can kind of do that every day, I stay on top of it. But it, like you said, it's like some, you know, maybe you run into an emergency or something. So today I don't get a chance to, to get through it. And then it can start to build up and I can kind of go back into old habits. So I guess what my answer is that when I do that, I have a system and I need to, I know how to do it. I just need to, to do it. Got it. Okay, cool. And final question here. Uh, you know, what's one book, uh, you know, you recommend to entrepreneurs? What's the one must read? Must read. Oh, there's so many good ones. I'm going to recommend um, for entrepreneurs, I would say uh, Crossing the Chasm, okay. uh, Jeffrey Moore. And uh, this was a book that he wrote. Uh, he expected to sell like 5,000 copies of his book. He didn't think anyone was going to be interested in it. Mm-hmm. And it ended up becoming a bestseller. Um, I sold well over 500,000 copies. And uh, what it is is he is a, a consultant that went into numerous companies, uh, most of them tech companies, but mm-hmm. all of them startups. And he saw a lot of companies fail. And he wanted to know, is there a pattern? Is there something that, why do most of these companies fail and only like a small number of them succeed? And so, and he came up with a model, or I, I should say, really more precisely, 
there already are existing models, but he kind of refined these models and said there's pieces of these things that are missing that all, most of us don't think of. And his idea was the idea of the chasm mm-hmm. and the idea that you start off in, with your, your early market and people are really excited about your product and you've got early adopters coming in and you know they love it and they're happy and uh, it seems good. But then there's kind of this chasm where most companies kind of fail, where they cannot convert that early success into mainstream success. Mm-hmm. And so he came up with a bunch of techniques for kind of moving companies from that first stage into mainstream success. Got it. Okay, I, I lied. You know, <laughs> one one more question. I mean, what's okay. I mean, you know, what's what's one of the reasons why why you know companies fail according to kind of what he found? What's like one? Uh, we'll just call it com- commonality. Yes, commonality. He, he lays out three or four things, but um, one is the fact that their focus. Um, he talks about the whole product. In other words, um, and, and this can be a kind of a contradiction with lean startup. Yeah. Um, lean startup says just put out just a, a little bit of something and then iterate and refine. Mm-hmm. And some people look at this as a contradiction. I don't, but it could be seen as that. And he says create the whole product with the idea of um like he says if you create a store and you're gonna spend all the money to bring people into your store it's expensive each person that you drive in there um if they come in and and they see oh well you know i came in here for shovels and they they have just hose and they don't have shovels they're gonna leave and they're probably never gonna come back and so his idea is you need to have at least call it the core product maybe to be compatible with the lean startup rather than the whole product, but you need to have that core product of everything that they need so that they that they're actually going to stay. So he talked about that. He talked about not targeting too big of a market, which a lot of people do. They're like, oh, I'll just take one percent of this global market and I'm going to be rich. Mm-hmm. And it's almost impossible to do because how are you going to market, you know, to such a large market? There's a million different segments in there. So that's another one of his big things. It's like he t- and he t- and has very specific techniques for segmenting the market into tiny sizes that you can go in there and dominate. Mm-hmm. And then once you dominate one of those submarkets, then you use it like a bowling alley. You knock that one down like a pin, and then you, that gives you the ability to knock down the others because you have that social proof that allows you to. Versus if you just try to go into uh, one of them by itself, it's kind of like he calls it a, when you try to take over a new market, it's an act of aggression, and. To go in there uh, without that kind of social proof, extremely difficult, extremely costly. A lot of companies will fail. So he talks about how you set up that bowling alley of success. So you're knocking down pin after pin after pin to give you your momentum. Got it. Yeah. So it, in real life examples, it would be like, you know, you look at Facebook, they focus on Harvard first and just schools and then they, they branch out. You know, the Apple, same thing, one product first. Now they're doing everything. Google search engine. Now they're trying to extend life, solve death, all this crazy <laughs> <Yes>. stuff. Yes. <laughs> so that, that sounds about right, right? Yeah, exactly. The exact okay. same thing. Perfect. Well, so Ian, you know, thanks so much for joining us. I mean, I mean, you know, really insightful stuff. You know, I'm really excited to see what you have going next. I definitely have to shoot me the link so I can play. I'll play you one on one. We'll play for money. Awesome. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Ian. Thanks for joining us. Okay. Have a good one.